You know, as we um, <clears throat> wrapped up last week, chapter 1 of Philippians, and we turn the page to chapter 2 today, we're going to look at 11 verses that are really just convicting. But I, I want to remind you that when Paul initially wrote this letter, there were no uh, chapter breaks, there were no verses. There was just a letter to his people. And as he wrote in that prison, he, he was expounding on different thoughts. Today is really an expansion of the thought that we looked at last week, that we walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus that we would that we would love. Today he's going to talk to us practically about how to do that, give us some tools on how we are to do that. And as we as I was praying through it and looking at the eleven verses that we'll get into in a minute, I could not help but be taken back to high school and a story that that I, I lived, unfortunately. It was a it was a real life testimony of my freshman year and I just wanted to share it with you. It's okay. All right. So I was a freshman. I was actually on the bus to my first day of school at the high school. Now, my high school had about 5,000 students in it in Orlando, Florida. It was one of the larger schools. And I remember hearing the radio announcer get on the radio and on the bus. He said, hey, many schools are opening today. Let's hope that Deltona has a good year. That was my high school that the bus was taking me to. And I didn't really understand what he was talking about. I really didn't know as an eighth grader coming in, I wasn't sure what he meant. Well, it didn't take long. I soon found out that uh, Deltona had... Uh, in all of its overpopulation had suffered some severe racial tension. And they would have, on average, 20 fights a week. Two would be all-out riots where people were like teachers, broken limbs, that kind of thing. It was an, an intense, intense environment. And I'd come from a middle school where, you know, a lot of my friends, we were just all good with each other. We were great. I had about eight guys that I hung out with all the time. We played baseball together. We surfed together. We just grew up together. And in uh, growing up in Central Florida, it's a very international environment. Most of my teammates were Puerto Rican or Dominican or Cuban. And one of my friends, his name was Ricky, Ricky Rubio, and uh, he was Puerto Rican. And we loved Ricky. We'd spend the night at Ricky's house. We'd surf with Ricky. We loved to stay at Ricky's house because his mom was the best cook. And, you know, we'd eat really good food. And, and, uh, and I remember as we were headed to that freshman year, I saw Ricky like a couple, you know, days into the school year it's 5,000 people you don't see everybody first day and so a couple days in I saw Ricky said I said hey to him he kind of like didn't really look at me and uh, so we caught up later and kind of got through whatever that was an awkward thing and we were at a football game and it was about six maybe a month and a half into the semester and and I said hey man there's a party after this game I want to go to I want you to go with me he's like he's like man that's that's kind of you but I I'm not going to that party. And I said, man, you need to come with me to this party. We're going to this party. All our friends are going to be there. We can surf this weekend. We'll go surfing tomorrow. He's like, dude, I'm not going to that party. And I was like, well, why not? He's like, Justin, I'm Puerto Rican. And I said, well, so what, man? I mean, you grew up with us. We play baseball together. We surf together. Your boys are going to be there. It's going to be good. And, and I did my best job of convincing him. And in the end, I won. How many of you like to win? I convinced him to go with me. And that night we walked into that party and I'm, I said, I'll be right by you. I was in the kitchen. I was having a good conversation. I didn't notice that. I didn't see Ricky. He kind of slipped off. He must have gone to the restroom or something. And all of a sudden I looked out the back window and I, I see the bonfire that's been built in the back. And I see this commotion. You know, I see a bunch of people start heading towards the back. And I can see out of the shadows of the light coming off the bonfire, I see pipes and I see some chains, and I see some people grabbing bats and, like, brass knuckles, and I hear that chant, 
fight, fight, fight. And I was like, this doesn't look like a fight. This looks like an all-out jump. Like, this is like a, someone's getting jumped in by a gang. And, and it's just this dog pile in the back of activity. And I walk out, and I'm, I'm trying to take it all in. I have, like, just a matter of seconds to, like, try to focus on what's happening. And then I see this bloody mess of an individual p- crawl out from underneath the bottom of that dog pile. And I recognize the shirt. The shirt that walked in with me. And Ricky crawled for his life into the woods and ran off. And I never spoke to Ricky again. For the rest of my days, we never spoke again. And in, the, in that moment, I could not have been more mortified to have won an argument. I couldn't have wanted to be wrong more in that moment. Because you see, like at the core of who I was, like at the, at the basis of who I was, I knew that this was wrong. Like it shouldn't be like this. I was arguing with Ricky because we should all be together, right? We should all get together. We should be, we should be fine. This is not right. This is wrong. But the world didn't want us together. And, and, and if, you're, if you're here thinking America's got the corner on this, we, we don't. It's been this way as long as man has been on the planet. Religious, skin color, whatever it is, we have a million heinous uh, things that divide us. We have a, a, a discriminations that we allow to tear us apart. And at the core of who we are, we know it's wrong. Like I didn't know the Lord. I didn't know the Lord for like years later. And when I met the Lord, I came back to this like thought, like, like that we should all be together, that this, this mon- moniker that we have a tendency to walk around with or, or you know, we witness happen in segregation, racism, genocide, I hate you because you're different, is just wrong. As I came back to the Lord, I met Jesus and I, 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 once I'd actually surrendered to him, this fundamental belief that was at my core like sprung up again. And rather than um, the discriminant and prejudiced world that I was living in, I found myself finding, I, I desired for us all to be together. And when John, in John 17, the high priest's prayer of Jesus, you read that he says, I, I desire that they all be one like you and I are one. I, I knew that my heart had connected to Jesus, but I also knew this. I knew that what had happened that night as a freshman was me trying to connect without the Lord, without Jesus, something that was fundamental in the core of who I was, but I was trying to do that in my own power. How many of you ever tried to do something in your own power? But when I met the Lord and I surrendered to him and I recognized that like my flesh is selfish, I was more concerned that night about being right. And someone dear to me nearly died for it. Hello? Hello? But when we are willing to be humble and put that aside and not be jealous or envious, but rather not not striving to be right, but striving to lift others' needs above ourselves, which is what Philippians 2 really begins to talk about. When we seek God in his favor, he says, I'll give grace to the humble, but I will resist the proud. And how many of you need the favor of God? It comes through willing humility. And that's the title of today's sermon. So, um, 
I'm going to ask you to stand as we read Philippians 2, the first 11 verses. And I just want you to say, we're, we're seeking to tap into the power of the Holy Spirit here by losing trust in ourselves, denying our own tendencies, and to trust Him and move forward after the thing that He's after together as one. So Father, as we open Your Word, I just pray that You'd speak to our hearts, reveal Yourself to us as we lift high the name of Jesus. And Father, I pray Your Spirit would come and do work within our hearts and minds. It's in Jesus' name I ask this. Amen. Philippians 2, verse 1. Therefore, if, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking for your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. In the next five verses, I love this. If it reads a little different in your, in your Bible, it's because this is a hymn. This is a first century hymn that was sung by first century churches. Paul just quotes it back to him who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, and that is the name of of Jesus, Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You may be seated. First point is a question. Do you hold to being right? How many of you just as a general, you know, just as a general rule of thumb, like just generally speaking, um, if you are right, you want everyone else to know it. Ask your spouse, right? And, and how many of you, as a general rule of thumb, like if you are right, you want everyone else to know it, and you would really appreciate if others would acknowledge it? And, and if so, then you're like me. Um, the, the reality is we have a tendency to want to be right. And I'm going to look at these first two verses. Therefore, if you have any encouragement for being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any com common sharing in his spirit, any tenderness or compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. It is an impossibility to be one in spirit and one in mind when someone always has to be right. It's an impossibility for us to be unified, to become one when someone always has to be right. And Paul's writing to his children here. He's writing to a church that he birthed. He is their spiritual father, if you will. And he's writing to them a little bit like a father. And he's saying, I desire, I desire for you, my children, to make my joy complete. If, if you have been saved, then amen. If you have trusted on Christ and and trusted the gift that came to him, from him, and you had his righteousness placed on you, and your unrighteousness placed on him, and that exchange has taken place. And you want to experience life as Jesus spoke, and that is life to the full. Not just to have life, but life abundant. Then there's more to it than just fire insurance. 
Hello? There's more to it than just fire insurance. If you have, if you have been saved, then there's going to be more to it than just a, a right vertical relationship with God. There's going to be more to it than just you being able to say that you are now a child of God, redeemed, and you have fellowship with the Spirit, that your sin has been removed. If that's the only thing that took place, that's still eternal change. That's magnificent. However, you're not experiencing the fullness and the, the power of God has not yet quite pierced the heart to where that vertical relationship between you and God is now being manifest in your horizontal relationships with others. It's going to be life to the full and life abundant when it becomes evident in the way that you respond to other people. It's not simply for your encouragement or fellowship in the spirit. It is for unity amongst the brethren and Hope to be offered from the body of Christ to the world that has no hope. Here's the thing. We live in a sinful and broken world, and so unity is rare. Right? And how many of you would say, if, I were, if we were to, much like last week, we said, hey, how many of you think your, your coworkers would look and they'd be shocked or confused that you were here on Sunday? Well, let me ask you this. How many of us would uh, not necessarily want the conversations of our home exposed to other people? How many of you within your own home, your spouse just has to be right? Not you, but your spouse. All the time. Just got to be right. And, and they don't have a tendency to acknowledge your rightness enough. Right? Just me? You know, there are, like in doing premarital counseling, there are like basically three different couples that I get to meet all the time. And there are those people that are just wired to like kind of, you know what I'm saying? Like there are those couples that we're, we'll meet a couple and both of them are just wired to like contend, right? They're just wired to kind of be right, you know, like kind of fight it out. My wife and I are a little bit like that. We we're both first born, so you know what I'm saying? All right. And then there are those couples that are like, like neither one of them like to fight. Just like completely passive, like, like everything's good, little hippie-esque. Like, ne like I met a couple, they're like, we never fight. We're so in love. I was like, hold on, look out. Because it's, it's building right now. It's welling up underneath and it's going to scare y'all. It is. And then there's that, there's that couple that there's one of each. And I always have to look at the one that's a little bit more passive, a little more like, uh, you know, agreeable. And I got, you got to find your big boy voice or big girl voice, right? Because you're about to get eaten, you know? And you guys, it's true. You just got to talk through it because this person is not afraid to contend and you could care less. And like, you're just going to like lose yourself. How many know that couple? And so I got to like, hey, pull them up. Let's go. You got to, you got to talk. You got to speak up. But here's the thing, Philippians 2, 3 through 4, in, in even giving that counsel, this is in play, and it's true. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking unto your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. And I also use an example when it comes to premarital counseling. I look at this couple and I say, here's the reason that you believe that you're better together than separate. 
is that if I were to take a, a revolver and place it to your spouse's temple or your temple and place your spouse's finger on the trigger, there's absolutely nothing that you would ever do that would cause them to pull the trigger because they love you more than they love themselves and vice versa. That's when you're ready to make a covenant relationship, like to walk into life together and you kind of deny that tendency that's in all of us to need to be right. And we, we are ready to tie our life to someone else in a covenant relationship like marriage. Because you all know, like that, nothing exposes just how selfish you are quite like that, right? And how many of you, there are people who have suffered the pain of divorce and there are some people who here are like, who's struggling and thinking about it? Because here's the thing, how many of you know this is true? We always hurt those we love the most. That knife cuts the deepest, that wound is the most painful. Why? Because we know their arguments, we can finish their sentences, we know the buttons to push. And so... It is when we decide that we want to be in covenant with one other person or as a church under the blood of Jesus, we have to think of others first. And we have to be willing, we have to be willing to fight our own tendencies rather than fight the other individual. Hello? You got to fight that back. Speak, asking someone to speak up is not not asking them to fight for themselves. It's asking them to communicate a need. And how many of you have needs? And the Lord said that he will never let a need in you go unmet. He's not going to. And he gave you a gift in the other person or in the church that not just your needs would be communicated and met because he fights for you, but what he was trying to say is that you don't have to fight for yourself. I'm giving you a gift in other people. You're not isolated. You're not islands under yourself created to do this by yourself. You should be together and unified moving forward, but that never happens if you always have to be right. And here's the thing. I know that we may never say this, okay? But God gives grace to the humble and resists the proud. How many of you have ever once walked around and looked at other people and just had this thought come through your mind. As you look at others, you just kind of, in your mind, you don't say it out loud, you just go, I am so sorry that you have to walk through life as dumb as you are. You know, you're just an imbecile and I am grateful that the Lord has brought me your way to enlighten you. You know, there's this, there's this thing about us that like whether we, we don't have to train it, it's just kind of there. Anyone know what I'm talking about? You've had, ever had that thought? No, I ain't admitting that. Not in, here. Not in this room. No way. I get it. Here it is. Um, I, I love this book, and I've quoted it before. I'm going to quote it um, again today. In C.S. Lewis, the book, The Weight of Glory, he says this, and this is, this is a quote that I feel needs to sit with us for a second. I'm going to read it, and I want it to settle in because it's the exact opposite of what I just said. He says, the load, weight, or burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid on my back. A load so heavy that only humility can carry it and the backs of the proud will be broken. So what C.S. Lewis is getting at here and if you, what, what he's implying is rather heavy actually, what he's saying 
is that not only are you to look to others' interests first, like be a student of others and aspire to meet their needs above your own. He's not saying that. He's taking a step further. What he's saying is this, that these people that you're contending with and you are desperate to have worship you because that's what we're doing when we say I'm right and you should acknowledge it, right? Look at me. He goes, here's the thing. Your neighbor in Jesus, whom you should be praying would meet Jesus and hope that they meet Jesus, like their, their eternal state should be so heavy on you that you seek to live Jesus in front of them all the time. And when Jesus draws them to himself, when he saves them, you need to recognize that in eternity, in glory, they are going to be so glorious they're in their perfect state, the way God intended them to be, in their new body and new form, they're going to be so glorious, you will be tempted to worship. Can you imagine that? Can you think on what that might be like? That we would be so free of this frailness, this brokenness, that we would be at that place that we would be tempted to worship one another because we so reflect the image of our Savior the one and only true son of God. But here's the thing. This is practice. I often say that earth is just a dress rehearsal for eternity. And this room right here is practice for how you'll live that out in the world. So when it comes to response time, like we'll get to in a few minutes, this is your practice. How you respond to a word like this or even time like this where the Lord begins to pierce in your heart by the power of the Spirit is practice for how you'll do that out there. Because the next point is really important. Jesus was right, yet he didn't hold to being so. There was not a more right person than Jesus. I am the way, I am the truth. Like I am the truth and the life. And this is who Paul's referring to. This is who religious leaders sought to ensnare. This is who was turned over by his own people. Jesus then executed by a means of death that even Romans wouldn't subject other Romans to. You know that Romans didn't crucify other Romans. You know that, right? Romans just behead Romans. So when Paul, uh, like, when he's asking, like, when he's using his Roman citizenship card, like, that's what leads to his beheading. No, Romans reserved crucifixion for the scourge of their enemies, like the worst of the worst death. It was reserved for their hated neighbors who were not as smart as they were. Isaiah 6, listen to this. This is the, I want to read just a few passages of it, okay? I'm not going to put them on the screen. I just want you to listen to them because these passages reflect Jesus. Here it is. Isaiah 6, 1. I saw the Lord high and exalted seated on the throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, compelled to saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook. The temple was filled with smoke, Revelations 4. And before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. In the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first creature was like a lion. 
the second like a calf, the third like the face of a man, and the fourth creature was flying like an eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them, had six wings and full of eyes around them within. And the day and night, each of which they did not cease to sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him, who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and because of your will, they exist and they've been created. John 1, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that was made. And in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. Verse 14, the word then became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son of God. Who came from the father, full of grace and truth. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. Is there anyone that you've ever met, even when you look in the mirror, that rivals that kind of status? Let me read it to you again from Philippians. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every single knee will bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth, every single tongue acknowledge or confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus was rightfully entitled to glory. Was, is, and is to come. When your name is I am, you are rightfully entitled to glory. When you are listed as King of kings and Lord of lords, you are rightfully entitled to glory. But here's the thing. Jesus leaves a throne because it's the only way that you and I could be ransomed. Leaves a throne and is born into the most humble and most scandalous of situations. He's born unto a servant family, born into a humble setting, worked a humble job, hung with a humble scourge, suffered the humblest and most heinous of endings, and eventually died the most humiliating of deaths. All while deserving the grandest of places in the universe and creation. This is Jesus. The very glory that so many of us strive for when we need to be right, is automatically given to Jesus. Everything that we strive for, all that personal glory that's empty, is given to Jesus. All that so many crave is due to him and him alone. How many of you have ever met anyone worthy of more honor or right than Jesus? I haven't. But in the mindset of fairness, Jesus is going to get all that he is due. Amen? He will. But I love the fact that our Lord, whom we know, we've not suffered anything that he is not himself experienced in. He's he's familiar with it. This Lord didn't demand being right. As every Pharisee and Sadducee questioned him, seeking to ensnare him, 
seeking to end this ministry, challenging the very King of Kings, Lord of Lords, seated right in front of the creator of the universe, the one who made them in his image, standing right in front of them. He did not demand his own right. He didn't demand his own glory. And he didn't do anything with his own title to seek advantage for himself. He just willingly took it. He never didn't teach truth. And in humility made a way for us because he knew without him there was no way. He made a way when there was none. I love this. In your relationships with another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, humbled himself in obedience to death, even death on the cross. Listen, um, Jesus, before predicting his death for a third time in the Gospel of Matthew, he says something really important. And when you, when you recognize all that we just read, and when you, put, you start to piece all that together, you start to think about the magnitude, the weight of what this is. Like all the glory is actually his that we strive for, and, and he willingly didn't demand it. But he says this statement that we often, we often like, um, I think breeze over and we aspire to ourselves. We kind of give it to humans. Listen to this statement. He says, um, Matthew 20, verse 16. So the last will be first and the first will be last. The first died a death in humiliation, willingly so that you and I could one day be with him just so we could be in community with him. Um, a pastor that I respect a lot, his name is Bill White, he said it like this. In the economy of God, the pathway to glory is charted through willing humiliation. Say that again. In the economy of God, which if you learn doesn't make sense to us, the pathway to glory is charted through willing humiliation. In the example of Jesus. How many of you are willingly humble? Don't raise your hands. It's like me. <laughs> That's me. How many of you are willing to suffer humiliation because you know what is awaiting you in glory because of what he did? Willing to suffer humiliation, being wrong, being laughed at, being mocked because you know what awaits you in glory because of what he did. Jesus was due all glory, all rightness, worthy of all that you and I have a tendency in our natural broken state to strive for. And he didn't hold to that, didn't fight for that. And that's our example. It's very, very big, very hard to live up to. Let me read from you what um, Paul says we look like. Here it is. Galatians 5, he says, So I say, live by the Spirit. The only command here, live by the Spirit. Also the only command in the passage I just read, make my joy complete. And you will not gratify the desires of your sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're completely opposed to one another. They're in conflict. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of sinful nature are these. 
sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage. Anyone ever struggle with outbursts of rage? Maybe when you drive in Nashville. Selfish ambition, dissensions, just those small points of division, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this and practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, and how many of you are grateful when God or someone inspired by his, who is inspired by him by hand says, but the spirit and the fruit thereof is love, joy, peace, patience. Uh, stop. Those, I'm going to read on. But how many of you love joy, peace, and patience? It's just incredibly natural for you. Just flowing out of who you are. Just there it is. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have been crucified to the sinful nature and its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. He's asking, the thing that's natural in you needs to be put down. The thing that's unnatural in you that Christ died and gave his way, himself away in willing humiliation so that you could live, that's, that's what you yield to. Yield to that. Submit to that. Stop submitting to the flesh. Yield to that. In Christ saving us, we need to remember him. He deserved to be revered. He deserved to be worshipped. Yet he didn't fight for that. Can I, have a really, can I ask you a really big question? This is for big girls and big boys. These are those that you know, are willing to use their big, big voice. Okay? And I need you to look with that big voice and turn inward. Okay? As we move to a time of response, where we close the service and we have the elements of communion, that when we come to the table, we remember the sacrifice that he made so that we could live. We look at the cross and we put on the cross prayer requests for people who live right now without hope or just need. And we're asking for the body collectively to pray for. We have an altar open to respond where we willingly come and humble ourselves and say, I can't do it without you. I'm done trying. How many of you found yourself in an altar a million times laying something down that met you in the parking lot? You can't do it. We're called to give up. Here's the thing. He deserved to be revered and worshipped and he didn't hold to that. He didn't fight for that. Here's my question to you, the big question. What are you fighting for? What do we fight for? Are we still in need to be right? Or are we okay with the fact that Jesus was right, that we can take it like he did? And willing humiliation, start investing in the economy of God because we'd rather his life be seen in us than we steal some empty glory because we were right in a moment. People are dying daily because of it. I have a personal story of where someone nearly died because I needed to be right. And I gotta tell you this morning, I'm done fighting for that. Father, this morning, I pray that we'd be done fighting for that. I know that it's really difficult to be humble enough to say, God, your way is more important and my, my name being lifted or my, my need to be right 
should be put down, but God, it, it should. If this text is true and we trust that it is and it's inspired by you, if we're going to live like you and look like you, God, our need to be right has to be put down. And Jesus, will follow your example because you loved us so much that even though you deserved because you were right, the glory of all creation, you deserved that, but you didn't cling to it. May we, your people, be just as humble and find your favor in Jesus' name.